Shareholder activism is heating up as COVID restrictions cool down, keeping your organization out of the crosshairs when activists are on the hunt for a target. That's what we're talking about in today's podcast. Welcome, I'm Kelly McCauley, producer of the Director's Cut podcast for Corporate Directors Forum and president of McCauley & Company, where we help good leaders we help good leaders become great through high impact executive coaching and results focused leadership programs. Today, our esteemed guest is Derek Zeta, partner with Sidley Austin and co-chair of their shareholder activism practice. Thank you for joining us today to talk about shareholder activism and what boards and leaders should be aware of, Derek. Thanks, Kelly. So over the past five years, Sidley has defended companies against 75 proxy contests, which includes more than 25% of all contests that went to a shareholder vote. Derek's clients are located worldwide with sizes across the market cap spectrum. Derek, you and Sidley, on behalf of your clients, have taken on some of the most well-known bad boy, <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't say that, but well-known activists in the industry like Carl Icahn, Elliott Management, and Pershing Square. What vulnerabilities are shareholder activists looking for? Uh, well, thanks, Kelly. Thanks for having, having me on. It's great to be here today. Uh, and, and just as a note on my background, I have spent time uh, as, as a partner in an activist fund as well. So I'm very familiar uh, with both the defense side as well as, uh, as the activist side as well. Um, if you think about what an activist is, they're generally looking for two things when they're searching for companies uh, to target. The first is companies that for some reason they believe are not performing up to the potential uh, and they, as an activist, by definition, have some ideas on how to, how they at least they will believe the company could improve uh, and increase the stock price. Uh, the second thing they're looking for are um, a path to ensure that if those ideas, if the board and company disagree uh, with, with the activists or, or have already uh, evaluated and, and discounted that idea or partially implemented that idea, can the activist, despite that opposition, uh, achieve what they want to achieve. So those are the two things that that really define an activist. And that's really what they're looking for when they're targeting companies. So if you think about the former as a company not, not living up to its potential in the activist size and ideas and how to improve it, um, they run a lot of the same screens as value investors. So TSR decline is obviously, um, you know, a big one. Um, benchmarking against peers. Benchmarking is something that activists will, will do. Um, so to the extent that you uh, benchmark unfavorably against peers, even if they're not necessarily the same business models, there's a reason for it, uh, then you're likely to show up on an activist uh, a screen. Um, also, if you have, you know, for example, multiple divisions, um, that is something that activists will screen for because it leads to the conclusion of a potential spinoff. If you're a consolidating industry, there's a potential thesis for the sale of the company. So all of those types of screens uh, activists will look for as um, vulnerabilities in an attempt to find companies that um, can improve in stock price. At the same time, they're also um, looking for uh, indicia of the companies that give them uh, hope that if the company disagrees with them, they can push the company into uh, implementing their agenda. So the largest, um, the biggest piece of the puzzle there is your shareholder base. So if you have a shareholder base that is filled with investors that are likely to be supportive of the activists, so a very hedge fund oriented shareholder base, you're certainly going to be um, more likely to be subject to potential activism. If you have a history of 
uh, shareholder dissatisfaction and low shareholder votes. If you have you know, governance features that some shareholders, the index funds, which are big investors in, in, in many, many companies these days, um, aren't, um, aren't in favor of. All of these things are, um, are factors that an activist realizes will help them achieve what they really want to do, which is convince investors to support uh, their financial uh, thesis. So really, you have to think about the world in those two, in those two um, through those two lenses. One is the value financial lens, and the other one is really a shareholder-based uh, governance lens. Nice. I was just reading something, a headline about BlackRock leaning towards activists in their favor. Can you say anything about that? Yeah, I think it's, um, and I'm going to just generalize it to be more about index funds. I think it certainly has, over the last couple of years, they've been more um, uh, outspoken with respect to issues such as climate change, such as board diversity, all of those issues that um, really there's been a, a, in the U.S. at least, a, a pretty significant and, and fairly rapid um, uh, political and societal change in, in how, how, uh, how people view these issues. And that is also happening at the index funds level. And because index funds typically own somewhere between 20 to 25% of most companies, if these issues are important to index funds, they become important to companies as well, but, uh, but activists and activists are finding ways to weave in these types of ESG arguments into their theses. They're coming forward with board slates that are more diverse from a gender, gender and racial ethnic, ethnic perspective. So they're definitely catering their arguments to the voters at the end of the day, an activist at the end of the day, their, their power um, is really driven by their ability to force change through a proxy contest, which means force change by getting the majority of the shareholders to support their vision. So if something's important to the large shareholders, uh, it's going to be important to the activists, whether or not they care about the underlying issue. It's something that it's in their interest to, to raise in these campaigns. <laughs> right. Well, I'm sure this is what some of our members want to hear about, which is what are ways to protect, protect your organization from activists? Yeah, I, I think the biggest, um, the most important thing to, to do is to um, prepare before an activist shows up. So we get brought in at, at Sibley, we get brought in from you know, various points in time uh, to companies, whether it's well before an activist shows up, right after an activist shows up, all the way until you know four or five weeks before the shareholder vote when things are getting um, really right down to the wire. And the best uh, ability to affect outcomes is to start early. And to do the things uh, that you can do before an activist shows up to ensure that you're, uh, you're in the right place. So having a team of advisors who know what they're doing and can direct you in, in, into um, spending the time on those things that really will make a difference if an activist shows up, having an internal team dedicated. Uh, and as you know, I'm in the legal role, I, I will mention two specific things that, um, that can be important uh, for, for preparation that I think are are often overlooked at, at a lot of companies. The first is um, ensuring that your governance documents and more, most specifically your bylaws um, contain all of the uh, current technology as activists have evolved um, pretty significantly over the past decade, their techniques have evolved. And as a result, the technologies that you'll use in your uh, governing documents to help prepare and defend against an activist approach have also evolved. Uh, one of the things that is, um, I'd say frustrating, what happens more often than you would think 
is when we go into an, uh, a, a company's bylaws, uh, they really haven't been touched in many cases since the IPO, in which case they were implemented by, practically speaking, an overtired New York associate that really didn't look at these bylaws from an activism defense per, uh, perspective. <laughs> Uh, but even if there has been a, a, a bylaw review or a governance review over the past, you know, five, six years ago, the technologies and the activist techniques are, are evolving so fast um, that it's important to make sure that everything is up to date so that you are, um, uh, I, I would say, fighting a fair fight, although the activists have a lot of advantages. And so I would say fighting a, uh, the least unfair fight you can by making sure that you have the protections in place. So that's one thing I'd mention. The second thing to keep in mind, and that I would, I would certainly have um, ready, uh, also from a legal perspective, is a shareholder rights plan. So a shareholder rights plan is a device which, um, when implemented, will limit the ownership of uh, an activist investor uh, or a hostile acquirer to a certain threshold, be it 10 or 15 or, or 20%. Uh, and having one ready to go, having one what we call on the shelf, can be very, very, um, very, very critical. Uh, and why it's important to have one ready to go is because at the end of the day, if you look at what a rights plan is and what the structure is that would prevent an activist from driving ownership into 10, 15, 20 percent plus, uh, a rights plan is structured as an agreement between the company and its transfer agent, what's called a rights agent, with respect to a, a rights plan specifically. And because it is technically an agreement, you are going to need to get the rights agent to approve and execute the agreements. And if you end up in a situation where you don't have one ready, and the first time that the rights agent sees the agreement is when you want to implement it, it can take time. Um, it can take time to find the people, especially in a COVID area. It can be time, take time to get approvals. And if you have an activist, Carl Icahn or Elliot, um, both of which we were in situations where they showed up owning slightly less than 15% of the company, and you want to you want to implement this rights plan as soon as possible. Having one that has been pre-approved and previewed by the rights agent, ready to go, so that you can implement it overnight, is absolutely absolutely critical. So I, I, I highlight these two. Um, there are probably ten or fifteen other things that, depending on the company, we will potentially recommend as preparedness steps. But the most important thing is um, to plan early and make sure that you get out ahead of it before an activist shows up. Excellent advice. So if your company does get targeted, what's important to know and do? Uh, yes. So now we're at the point where an activist has shown up and hopefully um, you, you had taken the steps uh, and prepared. And if that's the case, then you know what to do. And you're taking uh, basically putting in place your response plan because you've prepared for this contingency. If you're in a situation where um, you haven't done so and the activists just come up and you, you haven't really done the, the, the response work, the preparedness work, uh, I'd say what's really important to realize is that the initial response to the activist is very, very important. Um, and there are two ways an activist can approach you. One way, uh, which is becoming more common over the last decade, is they will approach you behind the scenes and they will try to um, speak with you, try to convince you of their, uh, their, um, uh, their arguments and ideas before going public. Uh, and in most activists these days, that is their preferred route. And if that happens, your response with the activists and how you interact is very important and how you set the tone. Um, but you do have more time to prepare when they are uh, coming to you behind the scenes. 
it is still the case that um, for, for many of our clients, an activist will show up either uh, with a public press release or in many cases, and some of the, the large activists like to do this, is to give you a, a phone call to your CEO uh, and get uh, his or her mobile number, however they get it. But it's a, a call from to the CEO 30 minutes or an hour um, before they actually issue a press release. And so you have very little time to react to the activist approach. And in that case, you really, the in, initial response is extremely, uh, extremely important. Uh, if you make a misstep in that initial response, you react in, in, in one example is you react um, a little bit too uh, argumentatively or a little bit too out of emotion that can live with you uh, throughout the entire activist campaign. And it's not easy to, to live something like that down. So making sure that you have those initial steps correct is, is extremely important. Um, now, as you get beyond that initial response, I think what's important is having a team that really um, can provide customized creative solutions that have seen uh, all of the different varieties, know all of the different activists and understand that this really the best defense and the best interactions with activists, the best outcomes for companies are when you're, you have advice that is really customized to and tailored to your situation. Um, so making sure that you have a team that is thinking through, seeing around corners and providing that creative advice is, is extremely important to getting to a good outcome with the activist. Yikes. <laughs> and, and the truth is, you know, activism is, is a, um, it's just something that uh, is and will continue to be part of what you have to deal with as a public company, right there. Right. We, can, we can discuss and argue about what activism is going to look like five, 10 years from now. But the truth is that the notion of shareholders raising their hands and expressing their views and voting against companies and directors, that that's a one-way train that has left, left the station. So that is going to be around in the public company landscape for a very long time. All right. So you want to be prepared as if it's going to happen, even though you're not expecting it to happen. You want to make sure all of your documents are current in 2021 so that you're not working on five year over, you know, not not valuable anymore and you're an underdog or at least not even a fair fight right um and then in terms of get when you're targeted if you're targeted play nice <laughs> in the beginning and get great advisors if you don't already have them lined up yeah yeah I, I, that, that's a great in, encapsulation i think that just the uh, at, at the highest level um taking a step back is you just have to realize that five or 10% of public companies get approached by an activist in a meaningful oh. way every single year. So as a public company, unless everything for a decade straight is up and to the right, and if that's your company, then congratulations, that is a great place to be. Um, but that's not where 95 plus percent of the, of the world lives. And so realize that activism is really more a question of when than if. And so putting some time into the preparation and getting out ahead of this is, is very, very worthwhile. Derek, thank you so much for sharing your expertise on activist shareholders and ways for boards and CEOs to protect their companies from unwanted advances. So if you want to connect with Derek, it's you can reach him at dzaba, D-Z-A-B-A, at Sidley, S-I-D-L-E-Y dot com to learn more about Sidley the firm and their extensive areas of expertise, please go to sidley.com, S-I-D-L-E-Y.com. If you want to listen to more podcasts like this, visit macaulayandcompany.com forward slash podcast and sign up. That's M-C-C-A-U-L-E-Y-A-N-D 
www.ctbcco.com. If you want to hear more about critical board member issues, challenges, and solutions like those we discussed in today's podcast, or if you want to review some recent webinars, go to directorsforums.com. Until next time, we wish you the best on positively impacting the organizations and boards that you lead. Thank you so much, Derek. Thank you, Kelly.